I've been wanting for a long time to share this and talk about it, and I haven't really shared it or or written about it in this blog. I've mentioned it a few times, and it seems a little unfair to have the blog go on this long without um, including this sort of important chapter of my life here. Uh, I'm working on a documentary. It's a small, low-budget thing. It's me and a fellow named Steven, and he's playing the producer, and a woman named Tanya, and she's acting as the director. Um, And then me, uh, the joke I keep on making is that I'm the fact-checker in the project, which is true in a way, so I don't feel too bad about saying that. Okay, let me um, start from the beginning here, how the story of the documentary uh, came to be. Over the years, I've been obviously fascinated with the subject, and quite recently, Netflix came along. And I got a subscription to Netflix, and I enjoyed the fact that I had all these uh, films available that I could watch. And I started watching documentaries on the UFO subject. It was real easy to search them out and order them and have them arrive at my house and pop them in the DVD player. And without hesitation, I can say that they are, for the most part, horrible. Uh, Just abysmal. And I couldn't help think to myself, well, this is, can't be that hard to do something like this. I should make my own documentary. And uh, and I talked about it for a while, and it and it was always in the back of my mind, and I would speak about it. And and uh, this went on for a while, a few years, where I would mumble about this aloud and share it with friends. And then there was one night, uh, it came to a sort of head. It was just sort of this, uh, there was a kind of a compulsion, a flurry of activity, and it was... As I recall, it was quite late at night, and I wrote up a one, well, it's probably more two pages, two-page little treatment. And the treatment described the documentary that I had in my head. The thrust of the treatment, and I may even post it on here, it's actually sort of interesting. The thrust of the treatment is that uh, the subject should be taken seriously, should be no giggle factor, should be no haunted house music, uh, it should be about the abduction phenomenon, should interview researchers, as well as people who claim the phenomenon experience themselves. And not much more than that. I think people are interesting and and just if let to tell their story, people are capable of being quite fascinating and quite engrossing. So I typed this up. There's a fellow who, named Stephen, who I uh, eat lunch with sometimes at a little restaurant in town here. And that's how I met him. We talk about movies when we we, uh, hang out together. And I uh, emailed it to him. And the next morning, I got up and checked my email, and he had obviously read it, and he said, okay, let's do it. And uh, be careful what you wish for. There's a sinking feeling that's associated with it. So, at that point, Stephen started looking into the production end of things, the cameras and what would be involved and expenses, and and I started looking into the content. I I made an effort to get a hold of some folks. We, uh, Stephen and I, this would have been the winter of 0607 and we went over I live quite close to Jackson Hole we went over to Jackson Hole and uh, which is kind of a groovy scene uh and met with a fellow who's a cameraman he does documentary camera work um and his name is Peter and we sat around a table at a bagel shop and uh had what was for all intents and purposes uh, like a Hollywood meeting uh, and I had worked in the film industry a long time ago in New York City doing mostly TV commercials, so it was funny to be in that 
that environment again. Uh, and I sat there kind of quietly. Uh, and the interesting thing was Peter had a really good knowledge, an intimate knowledge with the subject. He had obviously read a bunch of books. He talked openly about how bad a uh, an ABC Peter Jennings documentary was, which I agree. Um, and he had really good insights into why it was bad. I was really impressed. Uh, so I had a great feeling about this. Um, but he, Stephen and Peter had this conversation. They went back and forth, and they talked about how they weren't really interested in doing a normal documentary. They wanted to do something that went beyond uh, journalism with simple you know, talking heads and very formal, uh, formal interviews. They were much more interested in doing something that revolved around a story, around a journey. Um, and they used terms like uh, narrative flow, and they, they talked about how they needed a, uh, a story to bring the viewer along. And this was all well and good, and I sat there and, and uh, took this in and recognized that this was probably a good idea to, to um, do something different than the standard fare. We finished up our lunch and hopped in the car and drove home. It's about a 45-minute drive back to the little town that we live in, Stephen and I. And during that time, I was driving, and it was wintertime, and Stephen was sort of musing about the project and, and his thoughts about it and the need for some sort of storyline. And uh, and then I interjected, and this is the first time I told Stephen this, and we'd been talking about this project for months at this point. Uh, and I said, in kind of a embarrassed way, I said, well, I don't know if this is important, but um, I saw a UFO with my friend Kenny uh, when we were about 11 or 12 years old. And he looked at me and said, go on. I said, yeah, we saw it out a window in, in this little town of Northville, Michigan, uh, close to the town I grew up, where Kenny was living at the time. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's sort of coffee can-shaped thing. We watched it for maybe 30 seconds. It was it was impressive. And uh, and then it, poof, it just disappeared. Um, I, I write about this. And, I, and, uh, and actually, there's a picture that I drew at the time and then a follow-up picture that I drew quite recently. That's both posted on the blog here. Uh, he looks at me with this expression of, like, you never told me. And then I said, um, oh, and, and another thing is I, I was walking home from a high school football game with a friend of mine. His name was Mike also. And we were walking uh, it's about a half mile from the football game to my house. And I wanted to be home in time to see a television show. And uh, I got to a certain point in the neighborhood. And there was this really jarring orange flash, this odd flash that lit up the entire sky. Uh, the only way to describe it, it felt like God flipped a light switch, and then flipped it right off. And and in doing so, he lit up the entire sky orange. That's my impression. Um, and then uh, then I said, oh, and, yeah, and by the way, I, uh, I came home, and I got home, and I was about an hour and a half to two hours late. My parents were watching the, the 11 o'clock news, and they were angry at me for being out so late. And I said, no, I'm not out late. It's, it's not even 9.30 yet. It's about 9.30 or so. And uh, and they said no, it's almost eleven thirty, which didn't make any sense to me. Uh, and he looked at me with this expression of like, "You're kidding." And I was like, "No, no." And then I and also and this was this one's tough to to talk about in the sense because it's so fleeting the memory. And I said, "You know, I also have a memory from nineteen ninety three. I was living in a house in Maine." 
and I woke up in the middle of the night, and there was a bright light that filled the room. I looked outside, and there were five spindly, skinny, big-headed, black-eyed, gray aliens standing in the yard, and they were really dramatically backlit by some bright light source that was also in the yard that I, that I couldn't make out. And then my response to seeing this was to to uh, just sort of shut down. It felt like I, and it felt like I uh, said to myself, oh, now it's time to shut down. Now it's time to close my eyes and put my head on the pillow. And I went poof right back to sleep. So that whole incident lasted maybe, I don't know, less than 30 seconds, maybe less than 20 seconds. So after I say this, he gives me this look and I can only describe it as I just felt like a, a wounded gazelle on the plains of Africa and he was the circling drooling hyena and he said to me we found our journey we found our story and I knew right away what he was implying and I think and this is a quote I think I said no fucking way I am not brave enough there is no way I'm saying yes to this uh, and he said, no, this is good. And I remember we stood, uh, he had parked his car in the town and he was going to drive home. Uh, and we stood outside in the cold in the winter as the sun was setting and had this conversation. And he said, this is, this is interesting. And I was, I was pretty adamant. I said like, no way. And then he said, um, listen, I, w w this is something I want to pursue. I think it was that same night or the next night he called me up. Him and his wife work as uh, scriptwriters. They they uh, have sold a few scripts for feature films. Um, so I think it's two nights later. He calls back, and he says, "Listen, I've talked it over with my wife. This is the story we want to do. I think it's important. I think it could has the potential to be a really impressive documentary." Again, I said, no way. I'm not brave enough. And he said, listen, I'm going to um, I'm gonna, uh, call you back at some point. I'm going to let you think about it, and I'm going to call you back. Uh, I bet you less than a month goes by. Probably close to a month. More than a few weeks goes by. We don't talk at all. No interaction, no email. Uh, this is it's just mulling over in my mind. This is rolling over big time in my mind. I've talked about wanting to do this documentary. I recognize that he's right, that it actually has the potential to be an interesting story. Uh, I also recognize that I don't want to play the role of the subject of a documentary. So I'm going to talk about a dream that's relevant to all this. In this time, before he calls back, during a time I'm all mixed up, I'm anxious, I'm thinking about it, I'm confiding in a few friends. Uh, I have a dream. And the dream is that I'm in a classroom. And the teacher gives out an assignment, sort of like high school. And for some reason, it's very yellow. I remember the interior, everything felt very yellow. The teacher gives out an assignment. She passes out a, a uh, like a tourist guidebook for, for South America. It's a pretty standard tourist guidebook. It has little maps. It has little pictures. It has little chapters about areas and maybe a little chapter about a tourist uh, area in, in some place in South America. And, you, um, 
And she says, here's your assignment. You have to write about an adventure, an adventure that you have, and you're going to use this guidebook. So pick a town or pick a place in this guidebook, and then sit down and write do, for your writing assignment. Do, do, a, do a story about an adventure. And for some reason, I got so emotional. I got completely enraged and totally passionate. I made this this speech, this dramatic speech, where I say, you cannot have an adventure out of a book. You cannot have an adventure with a place on a map. You have to leave the map. You have to walk away from the map to have an adventure. And I was so monumentally distraught that I stormed out of the classroom. Uh, and then I went home to my house. Uh, let me add that this is... Uh this is obviously a dream that I'm talking about, but it was a really strangely vivid dream, uh, really vivid and, and strong and colorful in a way that I'm not used to. So I leave the classroom, I go to my apartment, and uh, this this felt like New York City, where I lived for a long time. So, uh, you know, it had this dream-like quality for sure, but it also had this really strange, realistic quality too. Uh, once again, everything was very yellow. I... Uh, I think to myself, I am so upset. I have to leave town. I just have to leave. This is too. This is too much. I have to leave. So I, uh, and then I think to myself, wait a minute. I don't even know how to leave. And then I say, oh yes, I have a map on how to get out of town, and it's in this drawer. So I open the drawer, and in the drawer is an envelope. And I open the envelope, and there's a piece of paper. And I carefully unfold the piece of paper, and all it is, is a picture of a friend of mine named Porter. And then I wake up. Now, this friend of mine, Porter, had just been in a very serious car accident. Um, and he was, he, he was at the time, in uh, physical therapy rehab, and, and uh, he's lost use of both his legs. And he'll be in a wheelchair probably the rest of his life. Uh... And he's also an amazing, powerful, optimistic guy. So I, so I lay there in bed. It's morning time. And the, uh, the symbolism of this dream is absolutely transparent. There's nothing about it. I, I just recognize it completely. There's nothing about it that's hidden from me. The, uh, the, the assignment in the class that enrages me is is sort of a Joseph Campbell thing at the time I was reading a bunch of Joseph Campbell and and to have an adventure you have to leave the map uh Joseph Campbell quotes something from the Arthurian legend where uh the knights of the round table go to have an adventure and to do this they go into the darkest part of the forest where there is no trail and uh, in essence, that's what I was saying. I was saying, I, I want to leave the map. I want to. I can't have an adventure out of a book. Um, and I knew this was all wrapped up with the documentary. And as far as I could tell, the symbolism of Porter's photograph, and I'm still confused about this one a little bit, but to me it feels like there's absolutely no guarantees in life. There's no. There's no way to have security in life um, because something could just jump in and change it all anyway. I, uh, I knew right then that I was going to say yes to the documentary. 
I sat there in bed and and realized that that uh that this dream, which was wildly vivid, and I, and a, and and it was different than a normal dream. It was wildly, impressively vivid, um, very clear. So I I sleep in a ca- I live in a little cabin and I have a loft where I sleep upstairs and and kind of a uh, ladder almost that I climb down. It's a steep staircase that I climb down. So I get up. So I climb down the ladder, and I my feet hit the carpet. And as I stand there, and I don't think I'm exaggerating, just as soon as I get to the bottom of the stairs, the phone rings. And I pick up the phone, and it's Stephen. And Stephen's a New Yorker, doesn't beat around the bush. And he says, listen, I'm tired of waiting. I need a yes or no answer. What are you going to do? And I say, yes. And from that point on, uh, we start working on the documentary in a way that makes me the focus of the story, which is something I'm actually, or I was uncomfortable about it then, and I'm uncomfortable about it now. But uh, during this early time, I, I completely dismissed the thought that this could be real. It seemed just seemed like, ah, oh, you know, those are odd coincidences that I would have those three stories. So we uh, put together a, a little team and, and start shooting. And... Uh, we drive around the West and we interview Leo Sprinkle and and uh, went out East and interviewed Dave Jacobs and Bud Hopkins. And the thing that was happening, uh, we were interviewing, and I'm, I was playing the role of interviewer, and, and I am not a very charismatic speaker, <laughs> so so it was a it was a little awkward, and it was sort of curious to suddenly be like thrust into the role of like you know reporter which is something i'm not used to but um what would happen is we would let some it would take about an hour of talking to the person and we would get the uh oh the only way i can say it is get the uh the am radio talk show story out of the way these folks you know bud Hopkins, Dave Jacobs, and Leo Sprinkle were the three key people we interviewed, and they would uh, they would sort of tell their story, and uh, and I knew most of their stories from having read their books, and then um, then the conversation would turn on me, and they would e- start interviewing me, and uh, I mean from my end it certainly got interesting, and and I think I can say this that that the filmmaking got more interesting, the content of what, what we were recording got more engaging. I, uh, at first I was really dismissive. Uh, and I think it was actually Dave Jacobs who asked some questions that, that really scared me. And, uh, and it wasn't a little light project anymore. It started to get emotional. And I started acting a little scared, I think. We did a follow-up we went down to the Laughlin UFO conference in 2008, in February. And uh, I was not calm at that. I was actually pretty distraught. And it was a hard. It was really hard for me to, uh, to play... In a funny way, I have to play self-promoter to get these folks, you know, to ask people if they would be willing to do an interview. It's a role I'm not comfortable with. Uh, and, and most folks, after they heard me tell my story, would say yes... And uh, we did a few short 
interviews down at Laughlin. I don't know if the content will ever come of anything. But at that point, I got really anxious. And it, and, uh, and I think everyone involved recognized that there was an anxiousness that I was going through. And uh, little by little, we just kind of... This, the, the documentary project kind of stopped. I can't uh, really point to any one thing or any reason. Uh, right now in my house, I've got 20 hours of footage. I've had it here for almost a year. And... Uh, and I haven't really even looked at it. Stephen also has about 20 hours of footage, so we've collectively got a little over 40 hours of footage. Uh, and none of us have really reviewed it, which I think is odd, in over a year. Almost a year and a half. So, uh, I was accused of... Oh... of having, like, grand ego issues by, by someone on the Internet... Um, and it was a little bit mean-spirited. And uh, and I guess in a way I'm responding to that. He kept on pointing out that the documentary uh, project just proves that I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in this for some other reason. Uh, I don't know how to reply to that. It just doesn't feel true. Okay, uh, how to try to say this. Uh, this little audio thing that you're listening to right now that I'm downloading on my computer with my little microphone uh this doing this like this feels easier than than writing it out okay i type slow and and i uh i feel like it's easier for me to get these thoughts out by talking this is a very strange format putting this stuff up in the blog let me tell you but uh i feel like i'm compelled to do this so um, if you've made it this far keep listening okay uh it's a very odd thing that I got involved in this documentary uh, and telling my story, uh, which which has been a really curious experience. Uh, this stuff was buried, and I'm not kidding. Uh, this stuff was buried in, in the documentary format. Uh, you know, the floodgates opened, and now I don't know how to stop. Now I'm blogging and, and, and gushing, and now I'm, like, talking into this microphone in front of this computer, and... Um, and things have continued to get weirder. If, you, if anyone's reading this blog, I, you, you must recognize that some of these experiences are genuinely odd. And throughout this process, I have made a really strong effort to be as honest as I can. Uh, I'm, I'm hiding a few things and not telling a few things that are personal, but uh, I have been weirdly honest in this whole process. Uh, I don't think it would mean anything if I if I went into this and wasn't honest. Um, I actually spend a lot of time and energy wondering if I'm making this stuff up, if I'm somehow delusional, and and I I keep coming back to the fact that like I, I've been as honest as I can be throughout this whole process, throughout the process of the documentary and throughout the process of the blog. And um, I don't know why I'm so driven. I don't know if the documentary... Did it push me off a cliff and just open me up to complete abandonment? But I am driven. And uh, and I am spending a lot of energy telling this story uh, in this jumbled up way. Oh, um, this I'm mixed up and confused, but um, 
this thing. It feels like a pretty honest portrayal of the process so far. Um, with the story of the Facebook friending from Mike Lewis, which is the the the, the previous blog posting, I uh, I realize that I can't just reply to this guy. Uh, I, I This is a weird thing to say. It seems like before I reply, we need to get the documentary back up and rolling. We need to, we need to shoot this. This is, this is really interesting stuff. And I got to say, that adds a level of strangeness to this experience that is hard to describe. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm doing this intense soul searching uh, and and this weird detective work to try to uncover my own experiences and um, and there's a film crew involved uh, I, the uh, the implications of that are, are really heavy uh, and I could see why someone would 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 make comments about an ego trip plus the fact that I'm blogging and talking like this um, we shot some footage two years ago, you know, it might be two years ago to the day as I record this. It was in August of 07. And uh, in that footage, it was at my house here, and I was searching for Mike Lewis's address. So there's video footage of me at my computer, you know, searching out uh, databases, and, and there's a dozens of little funny, you know, people searching things and so there I was like downloading my credit card onto the internet so I could I could find these folks at the time I was looking for two people one of them was Kenny who I had uh, the out the window sighting with and and the other fellow was Mike Lewis who I had the orange flash experience with uh, Kenny's last name is very uncommon and actually I found him right away and we called him that that afternoon uh and uh, it was really sweet. I got to talk to his mom. That's that's how I found that's how I found his address. I, I found his mom's phone number first, and called her. And she was this wonderful mom that, as a little boy, I uh, I uh, lived right down the street from. So she was she was actually really happy and jolly to hear my voice. Uh, and then I talked with Kenny, and and he didn't remember the event. Um, but I also spent a long time searching for Mike Lewis's, uh, and I'm using a pseudonym here. That's not his real name. Uh, looking for his contact information. And there were a lot of Mike Lewis's, let me tell you. So uh, uh, there was a few that maybe would pan out. And I can I can say honestly that I was a little frightened to try to contact him. And I'm frightened now. I have to say that it was a little unsettling, a little scary, to get that friend request exactly the same way that Cindy requested me as a friend. Uh, it's very curious how the facebook thing is playing into this story anyway i feel like the documentary will resurface someday and and i think it has the potential to be interesting uh and uh it got a little weird and uh i guess i made a commitment at some point that i was going to have this adventure (laughs) and it was going to be off the map uh, in the darkest part of the forest, and and I have found myself in that place, and uh, I feel like I still need to keep moving forward. And the blog has certainly played a role in this. And if anyone actually listens to this, thanks, and I hope uh, 
I hope it was interesting. Bye for now.